This is Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast. Welcome to Football Social Daily, the award-winning Premier League podcast. On today's show, why does every football team these days insist on playing out from the back? Because it's effective, it's attractive, it's the way the game these days is supposed to be played, I hear you cry. But after some goalkeeping gaffes over the weekend and Brighton deciding to mix it up against Man City, is there still a place for good old-fashioned Route 1? Thump it up there and cause a bit of chaos. We'll tackle that particular conundrum on today's podcast, as well as yet again asking whether the handball rule and the referees enforcing it are fit for purpose. Plus, Spurs have a chance to return to the top of the Premier League tonight if Big Angie's boys can beat Fulham. Welcome to the show. This is FSD. My name's Niall. And joining me on a Monday, as they always do, Joel Tudor and Marley Anderson. How are you doing, boys? Good morning. I think just before we get started, quite poetic that I mentioned good old Route 1 in the intro to the podcast because Marley oh. you've actually scored a goal I you mean, started not... a game and oh, scored wait hang on did you start of course I started he started yeah. and he scored unbelievable I'm not a fan of the surprise in your voice um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean it's, it's a it's a veiled compliment I'll take it well basically job, what I'm trying to say it was a route one goal that you scored it was very route questionably one, yes. offside exactly as that's well. the point I'm trying to make here it's offside if you don't know the offside rule yeah <laughs> Joel, you could be in the VAR. Actually, really you know, the funny there's thing even is, because Marley... in the corner. I've, sh- I've showed you the video. There's a scanner in the corner, which shows me behind, uh, in front of the defender. You know what the funny thing and is? And it comes off his head, so there you go. <laughs> I mean, up for debate. But it the funny thing... All I wanted to do was touch upon the fact Marley scored a goal at Sunday yeah, League. Now we're having a full-blown argument. Joel has to try and shoot me down because he once scored a back heel in five-a-side when he was No, you know what the funny thing is? You showed us the clips of you getting an elbow to the nose. Yeah. And it felt like I was in the VAR booth rechecking and we were all still quite up for debate. It was like sly elbow. Didn't know if he was giving you a body check, he was giving you a purposeful... Yeah, the angle the angle's done him a favour there, the, the lad. But I, I mean, as the tissue in my house, which is bright red, and the shirt, which is bloodstained, is uh, will testify that he did make contact and it flipping hurt, and it's even oh, hurting today. We'll, we'll put it in we'll it, just mind. a standard day. We'll office. put it in the Telegram group. That. Everyone in the Telegram group, we're going to put the clip in. Of oh yeah, Marley. we can do. Yeah, that, yeah. We, we'll All put right, the clip yeah, cool. in of Marley getting well. We'll put the goal and you guys can see for yourselves. What we what could you think do is we could take a picture of Marley's face, but he looks absolutely fine. Yeah. So no one's going to be like, you've had a nose fastish. Chuck it off. You know what I mean? We'll put it, it in the telegram group the and everyone can, everyone can judge for themselves. Worst thing was, I was right next to their bench at the time. Like, I was on the wing, so obviously mm. each side has, each team has one side, and I was right near them. They were like, oh, get up, you get up. And then you know, I couldn't, can't even say the words they were saying to me. And I was got up, obviously, I've been cracked in the nose. So there's like tears in my eyes. I'm like, oh my God, this is this is Sunday League. All right, we'll put Marley's goal in the Telegram chat, which you can find the link to in the description of this podcast, along with the links to all of our social media channels. It's the best way to get in touch with us. If you ever want us to tackle any particular topics on Football Social Daily, the Telegram chat or our social media pages are the best place to get in touch with us. But before we move on and do our usual Monday feature of Get in the Sea, which if you've never joined us before, I'll explain in a second, I wanted to just touch upon the fact that over the weekend, football lost one of its great stars, English football's arguably best ever player, Bobby Charlton, Sir Bobby Charlton, a World Cup winner, a European Cup winner, a legend for both England and Manchester United, sadly passed away. Someone who evokes so many memories, Joel, not just for Manchester United fans, but for fans of all clubs. And 
I can speak for all three of us when we say we're firmly after the Bobby Charlton generation, but the person behind Bobby Charlton, the man with working class roots, the humble man from the northeast of England who went on to become a footballing legend, it's a sad day, isn't it? And he'll be a big miss. Yeah, obviously wasn't part of my generation, but you always hear from people like whenever I've spoke, spoken to my dad about it or people who have watched him, just how much of an ambassador for the club he's been, obviously surviving the Munich air crash and that literally was the building of the club in a sense where he was part of the aftermath of it. He's in the Holy Trinity statue outside Old Trafford, which basically shows you all you need to know about just how important he is to the football club, having a stand named after him as well. He's just embodies what Manchester United is as a football club and when you see when whenever you've seen any tributes from former players or current players whether it's Marcus Rashford whether it's David Beckham everyone always everyone always tells the story of just how humble and how much of a, a represent representation of United he actually was so it is a massive shame but again he leaves such a huge legacy on the club and I think forever he'll always be part of the almost the foundations and the fabric of what United is right now it goes beyond Manchester United, though, as much as that was the club that Sir Bobby was associated with. And after surviving the Munich air disaster and seeing many of his friends and teammates perish in that crash to then be a part of the team that won the European Cup for United 10 years later. It's just a remarkable story of the resilience of the man. But as I mentioned earlier, Marley, the humility of him and even though we never watched him play, everyone's seen footage of Bobby Charlton. Everyone's seen clips of him running through midfield with the comb over, flapping all over the place, picking it up from 25 yards and just banging it into the top corner. He was a player that transcends generations and it's not often you can say that, particularly about someone who's English. Yeah, no, he was, um, he was, you know, one of the first sort of clear best footballers in the world. If you think like the 80s, there was Maradona and you think of the 60s, there was Pele and Pele and Bobby Charlton were on pretty much on a par. They were, you know, he was better than anyone in Europe, like, you know, European mm. style. And then you had the Samba style of Pele and, and Rivellino and Garincha and all Socrates and all these types of players. But yeah, he was um, he was clearly the best English player of, of his generation. and If and, not all time, possibly. Yeah, because, I mean, you mentioned those yeah. players. Bobby Charlton is our Pele. Yeah. It's probably a shame that he's not quite remembered in that way but when you think about it and you know mm. you know about him then you know you see you see the footage of him you know like you say just taking the mick out of everyone in midfield just sprinting through making the game look dead easy and I don't think I've ever scored seen him score a tapping the guy just hits 30 yard screamers off with both. those heavy 30 yeah. kg yeah, balls the geezer must have <laughs> medicine balls yeah. Many, yeah man thighs like he's, the power in his thighs and his legs must have been insane because yeah. you know when when them balls um, were made and when they get wet especially Jesus wept you know, mm. kicking one of them you're probably hoofing two two or three kilos around a pitch yeah. so it's not um it's not easy but he was he was a legend and you know he was a he was a Geordie as well so I, I always felt like he was mm. he was one of those sort of um he was definitely one that got away from Newcastle because he should he should have played for us but well, he's we, from we, Ashington isn't he which yeah, well, is a mining town near Newcastle and yeah. he was on trial with his brother and we took we took Jack and not Bobby we let him go, um, and Jack was Jack was good, but Bobby was yeah. Bobby was the gravy man. He was he yeah. was insane. Jack was a professional as well, but I think the humility and the humble nature of Sir Bobby Charlton is what resonates with me the most. For someone who is in the same league as Pele and Maradona in our eyes as English football fans, and someone who's won the European Cup, the English Championship, the Ballon d'Or, and the World Cup in 1966, England's only World Cup trophy. For him to have 
lived the rest of his life with all of those accolades, with the same humility and warmth as he did, I think that that is what really sticks with me the most as someone looking at the out from the outside at all of these tributes pouring into a, to a great footballer, but more importantly, a great person. So I think it was important we mentioned Sir Bobby Charlton and his passing, uh, which sadly was confirmed over the weekend at the age of 86. Right, moving on on Football Social Daily now. We always do this on a Monday where we react to the weekend's Premier League events with Get In The Sea, which is our opportunity to get some of the things that have wound us up off of our chest by launching them into the deep blue. Now, normally Joel and Marley have got something armed and ready for the podcast on a Monday to whine about. We'll come to you first, Joel. I wish I could put a sound effect of a, a gun load in just a ch <laughs> and my bullets have just got Arteta's face on it because... <laughs> My getting to see today and viewers, listeners will probably resonate with me for the last year, let's say. I remember us all having a conversation in here when Arsenal were linked with David Raya and Mikel Arteta came out in a press conference and tried to claim that he wishes he could have brought goalkeepers on at half-time and that sometimes he felt like he was a little bit held back by not being almost allowed by how football is to bring on a goalkeeper at half-time or change the goalkeepers, you know, give one goalkeeper 20 games, give another goalkeeper 20 games. And I'm sorry, but at the time I saw so through that nonsense that he was spieling in that conference and all the journalists were lapping it up thinking, oh my God, he's an innovator. Why haven't we been, even, I think all of us even started to question, should a goalkeeper actually be switched during the season? Because, I mean, a player is, a striker would be, a, a midfielder would be. And the game against Chelsea at the weekend put all of that nonsense to rest. Because if anyone saw... Da- well, we'll get on Sanchez's performance a little bit later, but David Raya in that game was absolutely atrocious. And he's not even that's not even the only game. He's been quite shaky for a number of games now. And I'm looking at um, Aaron Ramsdale on the bench thinking... Not what has he done to deserve this, but does he really justify benching him for this amount of time? Because clearly, the moment Aaron Ramsdale got benched, Mikel Arteta was saying to him, you're not my number one keeper anymore. Now, Raya is his number one, and now he has to swallow the pill of basically saying, I'm going to stick by my choice because, all right, let's see if he goes for Aaron Ramsdale, because his hypothesis, he said it to us, (laughs) not anyone else, I wish I could switch keepers during the season. Well, right then. Next game, I want to see Aaron Ramsdale in there. If it's not, Mikel Arteta in the sea, the channel. Put him in the channel. (laughs) Well, first off, that's a cliche, Joel putting Mikel Arteta in the sea for something. (laughs) And secondly, I didn't want to interrupt you mid-flow there. Aaron Ramsdale was unavailable this weekend because his partner has just given birth. So it would have been David Raya anyway. Besides the point. Could have been last week. Maybe Ramsdale will be back, but he's back in training today anyway for Arsenal. And actually, I'm glad you've mentioned that goalkeeping situation because goalkeepers in general is what I want to put in the sea this week. I think the standard of goalkeeping on display in the Premier League this week, goalkeepers trying to play out from the back. I was just going to say, do you feel like the emphasis keepers now have, I feel like there's even more... It's to be better with their feet than with their hands. They're they're literally thinking with their feet more than they actually are with their actual job, which is to be a great goalkeeper. But it's all about doing the basics. Everyone says, get the basics right first, get the simple stuff right first, and then move on to the more difficult stuff. Then you do need to be really good to be able to play that style of play. And that's why the best goalkeepers who can do that are the most sought after. That's why Manchester United paid a lot of money for Andre Onana. That's why Manchester City paid a lot of money for Edison all of those years ago. But I think it should go in the sea this week because the standard of goalkeeping this weekend was terrible. 
Raya was awful. Sanchez gifted Declan Rice a goal. Great finish from Rice, by the way, in that game between Arsenal and Chelsea yeah. that finished two apiece. But he's gifted him the ball. And someone as talented as Rice isn't going to pass up an opportunity like that, even though it was a difficult one. Onana, Marley's mentioned it a number of times. Has he? Believe it or not, he really <laughs> has. Again, a couple of times, he was looking suspect against Sheffield United. In that same game, Wes Fodderingham, I know not expected to be uh, someone who plays out from the back at the calibre of the other keepers in the Premier League. But still, some of the goalkeeping I've seen this season, Marley, has been so poor. I just wonder where we're going with it because it is very in vogue at the moment to play out from the back. Mm. And that's why I asked the question at the top of the show. Because in the Manchester City versus Brighton game, Roberto De Zerbi, a complete Uno reverse card, decided to start playing long balls. Brighton was smashing it up there. I've not, not seen them do that ever, I don't think. So it was a bit of a change up of tactics and style. But I just wonder, with people playing out from the back being in vogue, is it always the way to go? Do you have to do that every time? No, you don't have to. Um, like you say, it's, it's on trend, isn't it? At the minute, it's, uh, it's the fashion. Um, but Tazerbi changed his, his style and sometimes it can work. It's, just, it's about what works when, really. You know, if, you, if you're if you dragging a team onto you by playing short goal kicks, and, and Brighton have done that for a couple of seasons now, um, then you can open up the space in behind and you can have a goalie who can kick it 70 yards um, to, to hoof it up the pitch and get further up like that and go a bit more route one. But Brighton are pretty good at it because they bought in um, halfway through last season brought Jason Steele in ahead of uh, Robert Sanchez and Sanchez seen his ass and, and was was moody about it and thought he was better <laughs> than that. And you seen him at the weekend for Chelsea. You know, you mentioned his, his standard of goalkeeping. It's a it's a fifteen yard left foot pass. Yeah. It's not a difficult pass and he, he makes him he makes a mess of it. Um and Declan Rice scores and the game changes then because Arsenal were always going to get that second goal, I thought, as soon as he got you give him a sniff, they're gonna they're gonna get back into it. So it's um, it is one of those things. I think it's the, it's the influence um, certain managers are having on on English football. You see it all the way down to League Two. The team yeah, teams yeah. are trying to play out, mm. and non-league they're trying to play out, and everything that. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. When it's, when someone who gets paid two hundred fifty quid a week is making mistakes, they think, you know, what are you trying to do it at that level for? Yeah, but I mean, can, the, the I get why people, can work. Yeah, I get why people want to do it because it does work. It's proven that it works. It wins mm. teams' trophies. We've seen that in recent history. It's quite attractive to watch when it's done right, but when it's done badly, it's painful to watch. It's the total opposite. When you see goalkeepers making mistakes, and it feels like goalkeepers have made more mistakes recently than, you know, they have done in a long time. Not always ones that lead to goals, but... I guess maybe because there's so much focus on Onana coming in or Edison or Allison or these goalkeepers that play out from the back and the way they do it, there seems to be so much focus on them now when they do play a wayward pass. It's all about ball retention, isn't it? I was actually watching the first 20 minutes of the World Cup final in 1970 and I can't... Is that what you do your weekend? <laughs> <laughs> it appeared on my Twitter feed. Some guy uploaded the 4-1. I was thinking, let me just watch 10 minutes of this just to see. And <laughs> I've, I genuinely had the biggest flashback. I can't remember the last time a keeper kicked the ball out with his hands. Yeah. You know, like kick going for a long kick. Like a drop kick. Yeah. Thing. yeah, yeah. I, I genuinely cannot remember the last time a keeper has done that. Yeah, it like looked alien they to me. They don't do it much, yeah. And um, I think a lot of the errors purely come from overplaying it. I think keepers need to understand it's okay to go long. 
Sometimes I feel like they have so much pressure in their head that even if there's no option, I must play it's short. It's safer sometimes yeah. to go long than to play but short. All the errors, like we saw with the Sanchez one, when you just watch it there, there was no real option for him. And then even as he's kicked it, he's literally waiting. It takes him about three seconds for him to realise the kick's poor, mm. get back into his goal, and suddenly Declan Rice puts the ball past him. I think keepers just need to be given a little bit of a leeway to say, if there's no option, it's okay. Because remember Pep Guardiola first came to the Premier League. I think some teams don't have to and are not capable of playing out of the bat because when Guardiola first came, his team weren't able to do it. Why? Mm. Because he didn't have the right personnel to no, actually he, do it. He had Bravo at first, who we thought could play that mm. that style and that system. Well, he had Joe Hart always there, but he, he quickly established Joe Hart can't do it and if you watch Joe Hart in Celtic uh, in Celtic's team he still can't do it but he doesn't try and do it because he's not told by the manager to do it so he brought in Bravo and Bravo was awful yeah. um, kept making mistakes and then eventually he, he went for Edison and it's been fine ever since but it's that influence it's that effect on it and you know it, it's it's nice to watch, isn't it? So people, you want to yeah, do. It. So do, you, do you think you if, want to play like that, though? But, but if everyone plays like that, surely a, it becomes less effective. It and is, it won't well, be it for wants. Manchester City or Liverpool or the top teams because they've got the best players. But well, surely, it, yeah. if every team, that's exactly why you don't see teams go to Manchester City and try and outpass them and outpress them at their own game because you just can't do it because they've got superior players, and that's when the tactics change. But against teams that are maybe on the same level as you to try and play out from the back, you feel like you've got more of a chance of breaking them down. So I understand why teams are playing it. But will there be a point where everyone's doing it so often that it becomes less effective or not? Because yeah, I, I guess four four two when we were growing up was the done thing. It was, Ferguson it was played the four, only four formation. Two. Yeah, absolutely. And then <laughs> it became coined by Allardyce. <laughs> yeah, and now it's four two three one. Everyone seems to be playing that. I mean, for a while under yeah. Conte a few years ago, it was wing backs, wasn't it? Five at the back, which yeah. you still kind of see a bit of now. But generally, styles of play are phased in and phased out. And do you think we will ever see a time when playing out from the back is so overused and ineffective because everyone's doing it that it might just be a case of Deserby's bright and smashing it long and causing some chaos? Well, I go back to boxing where everyone always says styles make fights. So one person might be southpaw, the other person might be orthodox. One person might be a little bit more fighting on the inside. The other person might be a little bit more aggressive. And that's why you watch boxing, because everyone has their own style. I feel like football now has gone a little bit predictable, because like you've just said, everyone's following this same pattern. That's why I actually have respect for Diego Simeone, because he has his own field, he has his own lane, he has his own style and his, his, and his own identity. It feels like football's just got lost in a little bit of translation these last 15 years, where teams are just all one kind of photocopy of like the other clone, yeah. I don't see any style anymore I really appreciate it when Antonio Conte came to England brought the 3-5-2 and we were thinking wow this is super effective suddenly every other team's thinking mm. is this some kind of new yeah. prototype we yeah. could copy yeah. and then suddenly there's, there's no boring. team in the league that hasn't played three at the back since since Conte yeah. brought it in and with Moses and Alonso as well was the only one to have ever played it because Italy used to play it yeah, way yeah. back in the day but in the Premier League, nobody ever played three at the back. No. Only when there was a defensive crisis, you didn't have a right back or whatever, and they went, mm. sod it, three centre backs. But when That's you it. think about the players that he had, I just mentioned there, Moses and Alonso as the fullbacks. I mean, and, yeah, with, they win the Premier League with Marcos Alonso and Victor Moses as two wing backs, David Luiz in the middle of three centre half. <laughs> yeah. It's just crazy. And he's but won very it. little since because everybody <laughs> took his realised, <laughs> everyone realised how to play with three at the back. Into with the three. So he did, yeah. It but, works. I yeah. mean, he's, he's tried and tested it. Obviously, it kind of phases out. But, but I just... then, a couple of years on, uh, how many? So, 2016, what, six years ago, 
what has Conte won? He, he failed at Spurs. So you mentioned like like uh, on in Vogue at the, uh, before, and it's Vogue is it's a fashion, isn't it? It's a fashion now to play with the counter press and the yeah the you know the playing out from the back versus the press and can you beat the press and then you're in. Um, in a couple of years' time or a year's time or five years' time, whatever it is, eventually we will we'll probably get this manager yeah, yeah. that thinks like Allardyce 2.0 who yeah, fit yeah. into, into the, the corner channels. like rugby where you get a line yeah. out yeah, and Ricardo Fuller them in who fit in box the channels in, and that's it win the and ball back we, from their own throw exactly it's about territory rather than possession and I know, like where, that, where you play on the pitch and where you press and something will, it's uh, the antidote to the to the thing will come uh, come along and that's just how football works I do think we are maybe simplifying this a little bit and we should give credit to the likes of Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp who of course brought in this gag and press style but Pep Guardiola is you know, found a way to create overloads and opportunities and the nuances in terms of inverted fullbacks and players dropping off like the false nine and stuff is not something Pep Guardiola invented, but certainly it's something that he's been able to bring more focus and attention to. So I think we should give credit to the managers that have done it well before we start slagging off the fact that everyone else is doing it. Pep Guardiola, I see him as the Steve Jobs of football. Where if you think about it, he brought in the technology which <laughs> everyone was thinking. Slightly receding. <laughs> <laughs> but he literally is, if you think about it, Apple are the ones that everyone else is chasing. And then you have all the Androids, you have the Blackberries, Motorola's. They're all trying to recreate it, but they, they just can't quite. And Guardiola's always one step ahead in terms of creating a little nuance in the system, which then everyone has to answer to. And then they copy it and then they bring out another 2.0 in, um, version. Everyone else tries to nullify that. It's almost like he is the, the trendsetter and everyone else is just like a disciple trying to follow what he's doing, yeah. which is the way I see it. I want another radical person to come out and say, no, I want to play five at the back or I want to play as a sweeper two, three, five, two. I don't know. I want to <laughs> see, I wanna I see how many players you want on a football pitch, Joe. <laughs> I want to see someone like, Radicalise it a bit. Try and be innovative. Everyone's just following this one route. There's more one way to skin a cat. Right, next up on Football Social Daily, we'll hear Marley's get in the seat. And we'll also discuss some of the big talking points from the weekend. Of course, Gary O'Neill returning to Bournemouth and picking up a massive three points. Liverpool against Everton, the Merseyside derby. And of course, Arsenal managing to claw back that two-goal disadvantage to Chelsea to tie it up at 2-2. Talk about all of those things next on the award-winning Premier League podcast, Football Social Daily. Welcome back. This is FSD. If you like what you hear, why not leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe or follow on your preferred podcast platform and that way you'll never miss an episode of the show. Every Monday, we like to do something called Get in the Sea, which is our chance to have a whine about something that's annoyed us over the course of the Premier League weekend. Joel's had his turn. I've had mine. So it's over to you, Marley Anderson. What's annoyed you this week? It's annoying me they've had to wait to part two for this. Uh, I know, for, for the this, first time. You lot blabbing on about fashions and styles and all that stuff. But <laughs> mine, mine's a dead quick one. Um, we did spend three minutes talking about your scruffy Sunday League goal, to I'll be fair. That. So. Yeah, you've had your that's, allocation. That's mate. vital content, that's though. That just tipped us over into the that second part. That gets us a couple of hundred downloads a week, um, <laughs> especially when I put the link in the in the lads' chat uh, with all the football boys later. Um, no, but my, mine's a dead easy one from the weekend. Uh, I was watching the... The highlights of the Merseyside derby and how Michael Keane decides 
that the way to defend a cross is to literally just stick your arm out like you're waiting for a, trying to hail a bus or a taxi is absolutely bizarre because I know there's there's always a question mark over um, uh, natural body positions and stuff like that. Mm. And I, I'm usually pretty sympathetic towards... Um, towards defenders who get caught with a you know a cross from five, six yards away that hits them. But when your body shape is like that, it was weird. It was like he was um you know, like that that the dance move for walk like an Egyptian. It was like he had his arm out like that and it was he was just waiting. Like waiting for the ball to hit him and it was like you're knackered if that hits you. Um and when Diaz puts the cross in, it's if you can see the handball from the real time when you watch it like live in real time. I always think you're going to do well to get away with it. And, you know, as soon as the the ref has a look at it, he sort of just looks at Keane as if to say, well, what the hell was that? Like, what, what are you doing? Um, and they get a penalty and Salah, Salah bags it and he's cost his team the uh, the win there. But, uh, sorry, the the point. But it's, uh, it's, it's just stupidity and it's exactly what Everton didn't need after 85 minutes of uh, frustrating Liverpool and, and trying to, to grind out a point in a Merseyside derby. So is it Michael Keane's defending, or again are we turning no, oh, back to the to the handball rule? No, no, it's Keane. It's Keane's decision. Like how how often now? Because have Saliba we seen had defenders? one in the Arsenal game, didn't he? Where his arm was out. Yeah, but that that I would argue that I've, I would argue that that is a natural position because he's in the air. He's trying he's trying to jump, mm. and as he jumps, you can't always control where your arms are. But Keane's just jogging and yeah. jockeying. But and both, he's, he's both got his were hand pens. Out like that. It's madness. Because the Arsenal one was a pen, I think. Because yeah, the, he- the header was going on target, so yeah. you kind of have to... Yeah, and the, but he couldn't help that. It wasn't deliberate. I do think it was a penalty because, you know... This what I mean. We don't even know the him. rules. Like, how do you even but, prove it is intentional or not? Well, because the difference between Saliba is he, he couldn't... He jumped and just went, oh, I, I don't know where my arms are going. Hope it doesn't hit my arm type of thing. Whereas Keane was just like... Keane had his arm out from before Diaz crossed it during when Diaz crossed it as it was coming towards him and he still couldn't pull it no, out of the way. No, I agree with it you. Keynes is so obvious, but I mean, mental. the Saliba one, there was another one, who was it? I think it might have been a Tottenham game where he was on the line, do you remember? And Romero. He, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if that was on the edge of the box, I would have said that's quite harsh. But then yeah. when it's on the goal line and it's stopping a goal, like yeah, a certain yeah, goal, yeah. You have to have different rules, but then there is no law to say there's a different rule, if that makes sense. Well, Marley's throwing Michael Keane's defending in the sea, but whilst we're on the Merseyside derby, it was a 12.30 kickoff at Anfield between the red and the blue sections of Merseyside, and Liverpool ended up winning 2-0, largely in part to the fact that they were against 10 men for a large portion of the game. Ashley Young got himself sent off, so if Michael Keane's defending is going in the sea, what are your thoughts on Ashley Young's defending the... 38-year-old is he now, getting two yellow cards in the first half at Anfield? Uh, well, I, I, well, funnily enough, one of my um, things that I was going to put in the seat was both Roberto De Zerbi um, and um, Sean Dyche for picking 37- and 38-year-old right-backs against Jeremy Doku and Luis Diaz this, <laughs> this weekend. Because oh, that, that is like something you'd see like in, in soccer aid, like when Ben Shepard's trying to race Usain Bolt down a left wing or something like that and being covered by Gordon Ramsay. It's just, <laughs> it's it was silly. But I mean, Ashley Young for me is always, um, he's always struck me as a player who can't, 
he, he, he's never consistently made the right decisions in it when he's mm. defending for me. Like he's he's always susceptible, and yeah. as, soon, it, it as soon as he gets booked, I mean, well, it wasn't like he was out of shape though. He doesn't look unfit for oh, thirty-eight. No, no. I mean, he was managing to keep just, up with Diaz, but not he just quite makes bad enough. decisions. I think sometimes, and obviously the one to go to ground against an absolutely lightning-fast winger mm. who is eleven years younger than him, or who's running out of play as well. That one by the dead ball line, I know he would have got a cross in. I know, but yeah, and he's not he's not left-footed, so he's obviously going to slow down and try and protect the balls because he probably wants to chop it back onto his right and, and try and beat Young sort of one-on-one. But for Young to go to, to go to ground, you know, it was, it was like watching, you know, uh, a car crash happen. It was like, you, you know, it's going to happen. And then Young still manages, manages to go to ground. And yeah, that's a silly decision. But Everton nearly ground it out and they probably should have had, you know, 10 versus 10 with Canate getting, getting away with one in the, uh, the second half. In the end, 2-0, two Mohamed Salah goals. I thought Salah looked off the pace, actually, first 10-15 minutes of the game, but comes back, scores a penalty, which is something he hasn't been able to do as regularly as he would have liked recently. I think it's three of his last seven penalties before that that he'd missed, the one against Bournemouth last season, probably the one that springs to mind the clearest, where he blazed it into the stands. But in the end, two goals from Mo Salah, and the job was done. Let's now talk about another red versus blue situation. We've already briefly touched upon it, Joel, and that was Arsenal against Chelsea. Maurizio Pochettino, the Chelsea boss, formerly of Spurs, would have probably picked up his most significant three points at Stamford Bridge had he had beaten the Gunners. The Gunners, though, still remain unbeaten in the Premier League this season. They managed to find a way back and drew 2-2. What was your reflection on what was actually quite an exciting London derby? I think it's encouraging for Chelsea fans. I think for the first time, they actually look like a team where Pochettino's finally found some kind of system which fits in the players that actually suit the positions. And they've got a little bit of structure. Even Cole Palmer, for example, thought he was really encouraging for Chelsea. And obviously having Mudrick, uh, Mudrick finally scoring his first Premier League goal as well in, what is it, about 17 attempts? Did he mean it? <laughs> Did he mean it? Well, that's Did he, hell? Mm. he didn't mean that. <laughs> He'll take that every day, though. He does Counts not the goal look at the goal once. <laughs> <laughs> but in the end, I think coming out of that game, Arsenal fans will be so thankful for... The fact that that, um, Sanchez was in net for Chelsea because honestly, Chelsea at 2-0 up, you have to be taking all three points, especially at Stamford Bridge. But I think in terms of where they're at, I know we almost kind of paint Chelsea as this ongoing team that don't have any expectation. I mean, they've just spent a billion pounds nearly. Surely they should be held to a bit more of a higher regard. Yeah. So I think they're getting pers- better though, aren't they? Oh yeah, yeah. This was huge. They this weren't was a huge like step it wasn't like they didn't deserve to be 2-0 in front against Arsenal. Oh, they deserved it absolutely. They absolutely outclassed Arsenal for good periods of the game as well. And I just think that as the season goes on now, they're gonna go from strength to strength to strength. And Pochettino's gonna find out even more about all these players that he signed. But also special mention for Thiago Silva. What a player he is at 39. Yeah, we've just been <laughs> slagging off 37, 38-year-old defenders. Thiago Silva <laughs> he's a, definitely bucks that trend. He's an outlier for sure. At 39 years old, I can only imagine what he would have been like had he not gone to Paris Saint-Germain after Milan, but gone to a Premier League team because he is honestly one of the best. One mm. of the best of the best. The way he reads the game just shows that centre-backs, you don't need pace or even physicality. You just need to be one step ahead of the striker. It's like kind of like what John Terry was in a way. I feel like he fits that mould really well of just having incredible positioning and being super intelligent on the pitch. Because I think too much, too many times, you know, Chelsea have played disaster, for example, flipping disaster. The <laughs> fact he, I, mean, I think we even called him that when he signed for them. 
all you need is an intelligent defender in the back. And I just think for Chelsea, as the, as the season goes on, they will get better and better and better. But it's a great, great point for Arsenal, considering. Well, Arsenal's North London rivals Tottenham have a chance to go top of the Premier League tonight if they can beat Fulham on Monday Night Football. We'll talk about that next on Football Social Daily. But before we do, we have to reflect on what we spoke about on Thursday's podcast, which is the last time we brought you a show, because Gary O'Neill went back to Bournemouth the first time since he was appointed Wolves manager and the first time since he was sacked by the Cherries in the summer after keeping them in the Premier League. Anthony Iriola is still chasing his first Premier League victory as Bournemouth boss Marley because they were beaten 2-1 on their own patch. Talking of stupidity and silly red cards, Lewis Cook, what is he doing? Yeah, it was uh, it was a silly one. Uh, he fouls him and then he takes the reaction. But, I mean, you, you're probably getting booked for the foul. So you know he's going to react as well because it was pretty cynical when he just sort of kicked him in the shin and... Uh, just sort of shoved him over and it was it was you're always gonna probably get a yellow card for that so when he reacts make sure he reacts more than you so he gets booked as well at least but instead he you know cook just pushes his head towards him you know Juan goes down like a sack of spuds and you know that was pathetic especially after watching the rugby as well you know at the weekend (laughs) where they have proper handbags and it's like 125 kilo guys (laughs) swinging digs at each other and grabbing each other by the neck and then you watch he Chan Quang and five foot six Lewis Cook as they put a little headbutt towards him. He's gone down like he's uh, you know like a pack of pack of potatoes. Yeah. But yeah, it's um, stupid from him, um, and it probably sums up Bournemouth at the minute. They they can't do can't do right for doing wrong. They were playing all right. They were winning the game. They had it in the palm of their hands. Headbutt, change of game. Wolves aren't quitting. Wolves Wolves are yeah, they're not the greatest team, but they'll they'll keep going. And Gary ne- Gary O'Neill will make sure you keep going because as we said last week that's what type of manager he is he'll he'll demand 100% for 90 minutes and mm. he'll, he'll he'll get it so yeah and he made it play. he made it clear as well that this game was not about him even though the narrative leading into it was all about him and what yeah. did we say last week like if he wins i'm sure i said last week like if he wins he'll be the most boring sort of guy like yeah it's just three <laughs> points you know it is what it is and that's exactly what he said he's going to monday night football tonight and it'll be the most <laughs> Yeah, dreadful guest. It's like he that. He will, like, he'll uh, talk about the tactics. I don't think he wanted probably the distraction of it being about him. Yeah, to take and away from the performance on the that's, pitch because he's right. right. What he said after the game was, "It's still three points. Doesn't matter if we beat Everton, Manchester City. It's the same amount of points as beating Manchester City." And it's cliche, but he's right. Yeah. But also remember what we said now just before it as well. Inside, I don't human. We are human. If mm. we go back to a person who's done us bad, treated yeah. us badly, and we yeah. feel unjust. He would have had his hand in his pocket, clenching his fist like, come yeah. on. You just know that he's been all calm on the outside. As soon as that key's turned in his front door and the front door is shut behind him, he's taken <laughs> his jacket sliding. and his bag off and he's thrown it down and he's gone, yes, come on. You just know that he's done that. His wife and kids probably <laughs> wondered what was going on when he walked through the front door, but you just absolutely know that was his reaction. But fair enough, Gary O'Neill going back to Bournemouth and getting a result. What do you think this means now, though, for Anthony Iriola? We've seen reports today suggesting that he still has the backing of the Bournemouth board and he will be in charge for their next game, which I think is against Burnley, which looks huge now for the Spaniard. The thing that's buying Iriola time is the circumstances in which he was brought in. Like, if you think about most um, situations when a new manager comes in, it's because the old manager was doing terrible and everything was... Uh, was sort of going wrong and they, they almost had to change him 
So when they when they have to change him, and then that guy isn't very good either, the board are quite open to to saying, "Oh, right, well he's not right, so we'll get rid of him." But when the manager's doing well, and the board have took it on their shoulders to go, "He's doing well, but we really fancy this Spanish fella," like they, it's gonna be so embarrassing for them if they sack him after eight games. So they're gonna give him at least twelve, at least thirteen until at least until he gets that first win. And then they can go, yeah, right now we're turning the corner. And then if it doesn't, uh, if it still goes wrong after that, then maybe they have to take it on the chin and say, really sorry, we got this one wrong. Um, but I think the the red card almost gives Iriola an excuse at the weekend because they were winning the game. The red card changed it. They lost the game. That's not his fault. That's Lewis Cook's fault. And that's Bournemouth's fault as a collective for not being able to just see it out. But any team is capable of losing a game when it's 10 versus 11. You know, any team can can give up a 1-0 lead and, and throw it away. Um, so I think that might buy him another couple of weeks. But if we get to the next international break in three weeks' time and he hasn't won a game, I'd, I'd be surprised if Bournemouth weren't looking looking around and saying, oh, who would be interested in theory if we do get rid of him? When you look at their fixtures... Burnley, as we've mentioned, huge game at the bottom of the Premier League. After that, Liverpool in the Carabao Cup. Then it's Manchester City and Newcastle in back-to-back games. What's that, three points tops? Tops, tops, three points. But Anthony Iriola, despite the defeat to Wolves, is still in position at Bournemouth. And one man who's enjoying his position as a Premier League manager for the first time as well is Ange Postacoglu. The Tottenham boss leads his side into action tonight as they look to reclaim their spot at the top of the Premier League table. We'll talk about it next on FST. Final part of today's Football Social Daily. Hit subscribe or follow now on your favourite podcast platform and never miss an episode. Right, now on Football Social Daily, we're going to talk about Tottenham against Fulham, which is tonight's game at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. The final game of the Premier League weekend and Spurs, who currently sit fourth and are the last team to play this weekend, have a chance to regain top spot if they can beat the Cottagers. So far, Joel, they are unbeaten in the Premier League. For me, they've played the most attractive football this season under Ange Postacoglu. Some of their players have been a joy to watch. However, the pressure's on them now because everyone will be watching this game tonight wondering if Spurs can reclaim that position at the top of the Premier League. I don't think there is pressure. I think he's got a little bit of a free leash this season and that's purely because Kane's gone. I think if Kane was still there, there would still be expectation because it's almost as if to say, you've got the best striker on the planet in your team. You need to be doing better with this team. So I think he's got a lot of leeway this season where it's literally a case of try and do as best as you can because Levy understands he's had to let go of the biggest player Spurs have ever had in the summer and not really replace him with anyone. Like, well, I mean, how can you replace Harry Kane? It's, it's not really a, something you just go into the market and do for less than 100 million. But I'm just wondering, it's not even a matter of if, but when is this Spurs train going to derail a little bit? Because just looking at the fixtures coming ahead now, from now until the start of December, obviously they've got Fulham tonight, then they've got Crystal Palace, and then they have a pretty tough run of fixtures of Chelsea, Wolves, Aston Villa, Manchester City, West Ham and Newcastle to come. Judging from the recent results, they've had some really good performances and results against some really good sides, whether it was the away performance at Arsenal, the Man United game. 
But this is really where we're going to start seeing if they are worth their weight in gold because I'm still... I don't know if it's what, just... against Fulham? No, I mean, in the next few fixtures. I was going to say, because they've had tough tests already and they haven't lost yet. So why is this all of a sudden the... Because it's Spurs. I just cannot <laughs> get this... Just see, if we're thinking it, how did the fans think it? How did the people at the club think it? I'm just expecting this rail to just dismantle at any Can moment. Can you see Fulham beating Spurs tonight? I can't. No, I think not, not tonight, but I mean, when, when uh, Spurs have to play like Manchester City, for example, at the Etihad, luckily, because otherwise we'd win a guaranteed three points at Spurs' stadium. If they can overcome that, then I think st- people will start turning their head and thinking this could seriously be a, mount- a, a, a genuine title challenge. But right now, I still don't see it. I still feel like they're going to fall off at st- some stage. But if they are in, in this position at the City game and they can get something from that, then I think they might be in it permanently this season. they got Chelsea in a couple of games as well. Marissa at the bridge. Pochettino. I don't know that one's at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So. Be Battle of the Bridge Part 2 then. <laughs> but Marino, Pochettino on the opposite bench. I'm loving big engines. <laughs> <laughs> From a Fulham perspective, Marley, I tipped them to go down at the start of the season. And yes, my relegation predictions, we've mentioned them loads of times, have been absolutely rubbish. But they're 13th. With 11 points after eight games. <laughs> what were they? <laughs> Luton in the Champions League, wasn't it? <laughs> I said that Luton, road here I said that Luton were going to stay up. At the moment, they got five points and they're out of the relegation yeah, zone. Not, so just you steady zone, on. Yeah. They got a 2-2 draw against Forest, didn't they? They've got from two behind. of the worst goals I've ever seen, by the way. <laughs> all count can, like yours. They all count. Oh, yeah, listen yeah, to it. Yeah, Those in glass houses I'm and sorry, all that. The one to make it 2-1, where he goes to the top left corner, slices it, and it goes from the top right. I'm like, wow, Luton is staying up at this rate. Mate, if you had showed some video footage of you doing that on Sunday you would have said meant that no I, I'd have come in straight up and said I'm going to show you a video I didn't mean it <laughs> but Fulham 8 games 11 points they've only scored 8 goals the same amount as Luton Town one less than Erling Haaland isn't it one less than Erling Haaland yeah <laughs> I don't think they're looking particularly good right now but at the same time Brentford are below them and they're a team with better players you would argue so where are Fulham at this point in time because at the end of the season, if they finish 13th, I dare say, without knowing too much about Cottage's supporters, they'd be pretty happy with that, just to stay back in the league again. Yeah, um, I think so. When you lose Mitrovic so close to the start of the season, that's, you know, that's, uh, you know, like starting a, a Formula One race with three wheels. It's just not going to... And then replacing Raul Jimenez, like putting a watermelon on the spare one. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh god we're all about analogies this week aren't we um but it's yeah they they need Fulham need to just stabilize i think they you know they they nearly lost Polinia. it was only uh a last minute literally last hour of the window where they they somehow managed to keep him from the clutches of Bayern who will probably be back in january and maybe if not january definitely be back in the summer um, so it's, for Fulham, I think it's just a case of just just stay comfortable in the league, finish 13th, 14th and address the the situation in the summer. But to get there and to get to that point, they need um, goals from different areas. They need like Bobby Di Cordova Reed to score eight or nine probably in, across the season. They need Willian to chip in with a few and Andreas Pereira and, you know, th- those types of sort of midfielders and because uh, they're not getting much from Jimenez up front and certainly not um, Carlos Vinicius who loves to punch people rather than uh, actually score goals so yeah it's um, there's there's an obvious reason why they're 
they're struggling a little bit and it's just because of what happened in the transfer window. With the window shutting in Saudi, everyone's sort of seeing where the land lies in, in the Saudi league and then they'll go back to it in January when you can tempt a manager by saying, if you come here, we will spend half a billion on wages or whatever, whatever it may be, you know what I mean? It's just something to tempt a manager rather than tempt them now where they've got to work with the current squad for two months and that squad's made up of three superstars and eight pieces of wood. Like, it's just not going not gonna <laughs> to work. Six watermelons. Six, six <laughs> watermelons, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I don't think they're thinking about it now, but maybe Marco Silva is. He may, maybe he's thinking, if, if something else comes for me in the next few months, maybe I might be open to it because it's not going quite as well and Fulham are always going to have the best players picked off. It's just the nature of the, the beast. Okay, it's Tottenham against Fulham tonight. Monday night football in the Premier League. The final game of the Premier League weekend. And tomorrow we'll be reflecting on that game, no doubt, as well as looking ahead to the Champions League fixtures through the course of the midweek. Manchester United and Newcastle both in action. So these two, Marley and Joel, will certainly be interested to give their thoughts on those particular games. And you can catch exactly what they say on Football Social Daily by hitting subscribe or follow on your preferred podcast platform. That way, every time a new show is released, you'll get a notification. It will drop straight in your inbox. That is it, though, from us today on FSD. We'll be back again tomorrow with more nonsense from these two and me, of course. <laughs> Next week is a big week. Do you know why? Manchester United against Newcastle United at Old Trafford. In the Carabao? Yeah. Yeah, repeat. Of the yeah uh, yeah repeat of us winning of yeah. the final it might well be might well be but the way you're playing I think my Sunday league team could probably beat you what with you up front damn right <laughs> probably would <wouldn't> <laughs> football social daily is a voice works sport production for the sports 